in, Labor Day weekend people. It's good to see you. Lindsay and I always have bets on who will be here, but um, we're surprised. We're glad you're here. And it's Dragon Con weekend, so we're glad you're here. Glad you made it. <laughs> True story, I didn't know what Dragon Con was years ago, and we were downtown uh, with my son. We were on the train, actually, heading somewhere downtown, and I was looking around the train, and I was like, why is there a minotaur on the train? <laughs> so many stormtroopers. So, um, but yeah, so hopefully you took part in the festivities. They're still today and tomorrow, so make your way downtown and enjoy that. Um, so yeah. Well, I want to start with this very simple uh, quotation from one of my favorite songs from 1965 by the Animals. And the chorus is quite simple. He just sings this lament, I'm just a soul whose intentions are good. Oh, Lord, please don't let me, what, be misunderstood. I think being misunderstood uh, is a highly frustrating thing. Is there an amen on that? All of us want to be understood for who we are and uh, what we do and all those things about our lives, but it can be really frustrating when people don't get us. And what's really hard is like, We tend to see ourselves in certain ways, but forcing other people to see the way we see ourselves is almost impossible. And so being misunderstood is just a part of life. It's also the cause of a lot of arguments, a lot of separations. Um, It's interesting, you know, social media even has this dynamic where there's just a whole like cottage industry of people who get online so that you would understand them better. Let me tell you about who I am or the type of job I have, or this is really how it is to be me. There's this real desire for people to understand, uh, to be understood, and to understand each other. Uh, And all of us have said, they just don't understand, especially if you loved the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. You can look that up later if you're (laughs) under 48 years old. And our gospel reading for today takes us into this scene of great misunderstanding where Jesus and his disciples are in the middle of this conversation and the disciples misunderstand Jesus. Not just what he's saying, but in a big way, who he is. And I would say this as a Christian, as a pastor, like if we get Jesus wrong, it can really impact how we live our lives. And so our gospel reading today is quite interesting because it, again, takes us into a scene that's very familiar to all of us where we misunderstand uh, Jesus at times. Now, last week, if you were here, this is sort of part two of last week's text. You just got to back up a couple of verses. Uh, But in that story, same scene, same place, same location, same plot of dirt. The disciples haven't moved. We're still in the same story. But last week, just a few verses earlier, Peter responds to Jesus' question when Jesus asks, well, who do you guys think that I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah. It's a very loaded term. But Peter makes this confession to Jesus. And Jesus acknowledges it. He says, that's great. He's like, he kind of says, I don't think you really know what you're talking about because he says, what you've said has come from God, not from you. And so there's this sense that Peter doesn't quite understand what he means by Messiah, although he thinks he does. And so that's what happens last week. And we're in the same scene, but just the tone starts to change. Because Jesus 
following that confession of Peter, starts talking about his impending arrest, his death, but he also mentions his resurrection, which I feel like the disciples just totally didn't hear. They heard death and time stopped. See, Jesus is talking about something that had developed in the Jewish idea, in the Jewish mindset of the life and the way of a prophet. The prophet had this threefold existence of rejection, of suffering, and then death, you know? Or to quote the great song, Cult of Personality from 1988, when a leader speaks, that leader dies. It's a powerful truth in the history, in the life, in the time of the prophets. And Jesus seems to be acknowledging that he is in this same kind of tradition and trajectory. And so you are the Messiah. And Jesus begins to tell them, well, this is what that means in the economy of God. I will be arrested. I will be put to death. And again, I think they missed this part. I'll be raised to life. And this, in Matthew's gospel, is the first time Jesus mentions to his disciples anything about this. Um, so this is, a very, this is a first for them. They have not heard these type things from Jesus because up until now, the disciples have had this front row seat to some pretty incredible things that they've seen and heard from Jesus. I mean, just listening to him teach, watching him perform miracles, uh, introducing them to new worlds, watching Jesus associate with people that they were comfortable with. They're learning from him, you see? And so they've had a front row seat to this amazing journey with Jesus. And then Jesus turns around and says, yes, but it all ends in this way. And the thing is, what's frustrating about the gospel sometimes is they don't really tell us why it has to end that way. It just, Jesus just says, this is what's happening. And Matthew moves on with the story. But when Peter hears Jesus say this, he's a bit frustrated. Because when Peter said, you are the Messiah, it was an announcement based on what he saw in Jesus. Now, the idea of the Messiah in the days of Jesus is a very confusing idea. There's really no set job description written anywhere in either scripture or other Jewish writings about what the Messiah would do, what they would look like. It's just not there. But there was an agreed upon um, assumption that the Messiah would not be a loser, but would be victorious. Okay? Whatever the profile of the Messiah was, it wasn't someone who went down in flames. See, the Messiah... In the, in the mindset of the disciples and many in that day was someone who would bring liberation to the people of Israel, to lead Israel out from underneath the arm and the shadow of an overpowering empire. It would be someone who would restore the glory of the great nation of Israel. And here's Jesus, who sort of fits this profile in their mindset, coming to them and saying, actually, it, it goes out in the opposite direction. And so Peter pulls him aside. Peter removes himself from the disciples. He's not speaking for them anymore. Maybe he is, but he pulls Jesus aside. And he 
talks to Jesus in like a tone of prayer. The, the translation there is actually, he looks at Jesus and says, God forbid this. I don't want this to happen to you. I don't want you to die. It's not just an ideological thing. Peter's speaking also to a friend. And then his friend, Jesus, calls Peter, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Uh, I think that's funny. You don't think that's funny. <laughs> but the word Satan here just means this, like, uh, this, you're, you're an adversary. You're pushing back against me in what I've been called to do. He tells Peter that he's a stumbling block now. You've become a stumbling block. It's sort of the play on Peter's name means rock. But Jesus now says you're, you're something that I'm tripping over. It's very interesting. So Jesus pushes back on Peter. Because Peter seems to have, and the disciples carry this idea too, these earthbound ideas about what the Messiah would be and who the Messiah would be and what he would accomplish. These earthbound ideas of advancement, of maybe even power. And Jesus says to him, you've, you've got your mind on these human ideas about what it means to be my disciple and what it means to be me as well. But they are different than the heavenly ideas, the divine purpose in life. And so what Jesus does at this point is quite interesting. It's a little, it's like a little dead poet society moment where he regathers the group and he begins to teach them. He begins to talk to them about what it means to be his disciple. And this is where you and I come in. What it means to be a student of Jesus, to apprentice the way of Jesus. What does that mean? And Jesus starts using phrases like the cross. You take up a cross. He uses phrases like denying the self or losing your life. And these are very, very strong words and images. And I think when we read these in today's highly individualistic, self-focused culture, these words are very dissonant. They cause disruption in us. Self-denial? No. I don't deny myself. I do what I want. You know, Take up a cross? That sounds painful. Not just that it's heavy, but it's a death thing. And in the days of the disciples, Jesus says, take up your cross. I mean, to them, it's a very vivid image. This Roman execution device. And Jesus says, I need you to take that up. I need you to live a life of sacrifice. They're strong words and they're very powerful images. But if we step back, if we polish up the language a little bit, if we separate it out and take it all in, what Jesus is talking about is a life that sees beyond itself. It's very easy for us humans to become isolated in our own lives but he's simply just talking about a life that sees beyond itself. And Peter in this moment, perhaps speaking for the disciples too, is frustrated. But Jesus is reminding him that the life he's been called to live is a life that sees beyond victories, advancements, beyond seeing people as 
stepping stones to success, beyond missing the moment and the presence with others that may have needs because you were so individualistic. And sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it feels like a death. Sometimes it's like a cross. Sometimes it feels like self-denial. But this is the life that Jesus is calling them to. And that we are to be present in the hurting and in the suffering world around us. It's the difference between this philosophy of acceleration in life, succeeding at all costs, winning at all costs, doing more and more and more and becoming more and more and more. It's this difference between the philosophy of acceleration and the mindset of just being present in the moment with real people and being a servant. The disciples struggled um, with this preoccupation of messianic outcomes. They see Jesus as a means to an end. It doesn't end here. They don't learn the lesson. After the resurrection, the first chapter of the book of Acts, Jesus is hanging out with the disciples. He's been raised from the dead. It's a big deal. And they ask him, hey, at this time, are you going to restore the glory of Israel? Like they're still thinking, where's my sword? When do we take the hill? Great resurrection, by the way. Love the performance. <laughs> are, we, are we now? They don't learn the lesson. They have to learn it in life and in many of their cases in death. So they have these, this preoccupation with these outcomes that Jesus should meet. And Jesus reminds them that they are to position their energies on being a helpful and serving presence in the world. This is what it means to lose your life for the sake of others. And I would say this, and maybe you feel this right now, but the self-absorbed life will remain always frustrated in the shadow of the world that Jesus is imagining. Always be frustrated because it's a dissonance in our culture. But this is the life that he's reminding Peter of, his disciples of, and us by proxy of being blessed to have these scriptures in our possession. You know, as we enter the fall season, um, it's been pretty exciting. We had this like reopening strategy post COVID, you know, and, um, and group life, parish groups, groups that meet in homes was way down the list, you know, but we're now sort of re-entering that phase of church life. And as of today, we have like 70 people from this church in parish groups all over the city that are starting this month. It's pretty uh, remarkable. So 70 people in this room, well, maybe not in this room, it's Labor Day, um, are in groups, and it's really great because, you know, we do this thing in here on Sundays, and it's very important to come together and to sing and to listen and to pray and to just be in the room and the space uh, that we share uh, in worship and in attention that we give to these things. But it's also quite important that the church bend itself into circles and have conversations and build friendships of support and care, and this is what I know, 
This is just what I know. Uh, given enough time in group life, uh, needs will arise. They just will. And I say that as a, not a warning shot, but as something to look forward to. If you're in one of these groups, I, I can bet my life on it that at some point in the future, a need will arise. And there will be this opportunity for you to relive this text, to think beyond the self, and to meet the needs of those in your circle. I just know that that's going to happen. It always happens, you know. As soon as people feel comfortable, they say, well, this is going on, or this is happening in my life, or this is going on with my family, or um, this is what's happening financially, or I'm really scared about this, or this health thing is going on, and they start to, you know, the first few weeks of small group, it's all like, um, you know, people just like uh, spitting game around like uh, answering Bible questions and feeling very confident and stuff. But then eventually, beneath the surface of all these discussions, God begins to present needs to us through the lives of the people around us. And I think that's a beautiful thing. I think it's where we are challenged to remove ourselves from ourselves and to learn what it means to be the hands and feet of God in those moments. And I'll just say this. There is someone in your life right now that needs you to suffer for them. In other ways that I've said this, is like you are the, prayer, the answer to someone's prayer. This is the way God works. He puts us around people and people around us. And there's someone in your life right now, in your place of work, in your family, in your home, in this building, in the group that you're in, that needs you to suffer for them because they don't have the energy or the resources to make it. Someone needs you to lose yourself just a little. I'm not talking about destroying your life with no boundaries. But I'm talking about losing yourself just a little. Just come out for just a moment so that God can use you in the troubles of those around you. Amen? It's a tough teaching. I saw this text coming up in the lectionary and I was like, where's my associate? Where can, they can preach today, you know? But there's only two of us here and she's busy. It's tough to read. It's tough to take in. But it is the way of Jesus. And there is no other way. And so we have to wrestle with it. But I will say this in closing. I often find that we meet God in the troubles of others. That when we allow ourselves to enter the pain of those around us and to serve them and to deny the self for a moment and to put ourselves out there I find that at that intersection, that's a divine moment where heaven and earth meet when we see the human in front of us, the creation of God, and that we are being used by God to support, to pray for, and to walk with those who are suffering. Fields are divided.
Train.